0: Good morning church we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet my name is Paul I'm the lead pastor here at Gulfside we're so glad that you're here with us and we are wrapping up a series uh, called the carrots the endless pursuit I don't know if you've ever felt like or if you can associate with the hamster in the wheel there where it's like the thing that I want it's so close I just I just I can almost reach it it's almost right there it's just a few more late nights at work. It's just, a, you know, moving up to that other neighborhood. It's just that other person that when I get them in my life, I'll finally feel full. I'll finally feel complete. I'll finally feel like I have it all together. But even when you attain that thing that you thought you wanted, you find it's not enough. It's something else that you need that's going to fill that spot. There's this thing within us that, that it gets this idea that if I just had this, I would finally feel fulfilled. And we try to fill this God-shaped hole with all these other things that will never satisfy. And we get into this endless pursuit. And we've talked about a couple of things that we have been in this pursuit of. And today we're talking about the approval of others. We often get caught into this thing where we desperately are seeking after the approval of other people. Wanting them to, to affirm to us that we're worth it. That we're good enough. I don't know about you maybe some of you guys might feel have you ever thought too much about what someone else is thinking have you ever over yeah a couple of you guys some of you guys raised your hand because you're like I want I don't want the pastor to think bad of me so I better raise my hand when he asked me to raise my hand some of you guys like I'm not going to raise my hand because if I raise my hand people around me will look at me while I raise my hand and so even though I should raise my hand I'm not going to because people are thinking about me I know that we think about what people are thinking about and it applies pressure to us and I know this because I felt it in so many different ways And especially when I was in high school, it was so magnified. I was, and guys who drive a truck get this, and people who are close to a guy who drives a truck get this, but in high school, I was a guy who drove a truck. I had my own truck. It's important. And I was so concerned with how my truck looked that I spent more on the paint job for my truck than I did on the truck. (laughs) It's just the truth. And it's not like it was anything spectacular. You know, this was back in the 90s. It was 1986 Nissan Hardbody. It didn't even really have a real name yet. They just called it a Nissan Hardbody. And this is the truck that I drove, and I loved my truck. And my truck, it looked good as a 1986 truck can. And, but before school, I was so concerned with how my truck looked. And, and you know how hard it is to wake up a teenage guy? Like before school, I was so worried about what other people thought of my truck. I would wake up at five or six in the morning to wash my truck before the sun came up. Because you know when the sun comes up it dries up the water and it creates soap little dots on your truck and that's not acceptable. So I'd wake up early and I had my whole method, I mean section by section, there was a process. And then when I dried it, you guys know if if you're crazy like I am, you know drying is the most important part. You got to start with a really absorbent towel first and then move to a smaller one like a t-shirt that's turned inside out and rub it and the thing will just glisten and people will just stare at you and it'll be just what you wanted, it'll be so fulfilling. Until two minutes has passed, and then you're like, okay, I need that again. And so, day by day, I would wake up and do this because I so wanted people to notice me at that point in my life. But you know what? It wasn't very fulfilling. But I, I know that the desire was there. And it may not have been your, your black, shiny 1986 Nissan hard body truck that you put so much effort into getting people to notice you for, it might be in the way that your body looks. It might be in the amount of money that you make. It might be in how your children have to look. There's lots of different ways that we seek the approval of other people. I mean, you pick your poison, but it's out there. And I know that so many of us struggle with this, and I know that that does not feel like freedom, and it does not feel like what God has designed for us. And it creates lots of other problems. And, you know, kind of like we could go to the, you might be a redneck if. You might be a people pleaser if. Like, I got three things to help you identify that this might be you. The first one is if you obsess over what, what other people think. You might, this message might be specifically in tune with you. If you worry too much, if you obsess over what people think. If your day has been ruined, not because of what someone, something someone said, If your day has ever been ruined because what you thought someone else was thinking, you're giving someone else way too much control over your life. If you're obsessing over what to think. The second thing, overly sensitive to criticism. If someone that you know loves you suggests that you need to tweak some area of your life and you can't help but just fly off the handle probably because you're caring way too much about their opinion. And when they're trying to tell you something that would be helpful for you to know, you can't hear it. You can't receive criticism. You might be worried a little bit too much about what other people think because criticism is helpful. Number three, if you have a hard time saying no. If anytime anyone asks you to do anything, you just feel compelled, oh yes, I don't want to let them down. I mean, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to spend my time there. But I'm going to say yes anyway because I don't want to let you down. And this affects people in lots of different ways. You know, I want, I, I'm afraid they might leave the relationship, and so I really don't want to step into this area. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to say yes because I'm afraid of what they might think or what they might do. And you can see how this can be destructive within our spiritual life because all of a sudden we find ourselves going against our own morals, going against the things that we know to be right because we don't want to let them down, because we don't want to be known as being different than the rest of the crowd. So this concept of being a people pleaser, it's referred to, in a good way, Um, Harriet Breaker said it this way. She said, the disease to please is a form of addiction. Like a drug addict seeks drugs, people pleasers seek approval. And if you've been living in this addiction, I want to encourage you that I, I believe that it's not just destructive, but I believe that God has something better for you. We're going to look at a couple different passages today. The first one, the first half of it, in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the first half of the passage says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Now, I know that we don't do too much hunting by snare anymore, but if you're not familiar with what a snare is when it uses its description in Scripture, a snare is a hunting method. It's a trap, and you would basically set a loop on a path that was common for an animal. And in fact, hunters, and when they would do this, they would create obstructions in other ways because the goal was to guide what you were going to trap into the loop. And there's this interesting thing about the way that a snare works, and I'm not going to put it around my neck because some of you guys would get worried too quickly. I'm going to just put it on my shoulder. Um, Once an animal gets entrapped in it, it's actually the animal's own strength that kills the animal. It's It's the animal's own strength that makes the trap effective because once the animal enters it, it's just loose. But once it feels it there, it tries to run and use its own strength to break free. And you can imagine as it's around the neck that it's actually the animal's own strength that that kills it. The snare operates and destroys out of this effort to free itself. And then the second half of the verse in Proverbs, it stands in contrast to the first. So first, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And so it it paints this this picture of these opposites, that if fear of man, fear of what they're thinking, fear of what they're doing, fear of what they'll say, fear of what they'll do, based on the choices you're making, if that is controlling you, it's like a snare. And as you found, when you get worried about people's opinions, the harder that you try to please them, the, the further you go into the deception of being someone that you're really not, the more destructive it becomes. But in opposition to that, is trust, but go ahead and put the verse up on the screen, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And so within ourselves, we have to choose what we're going to operate out of. I know that God has called me to live this way, and I know that other people might look at that with disdain. They might question the way that I'm parenting, the way that I'm moving out of this addiction, the way that I'm operating at work. They might be questioning why I won't just change a couple numbers on that tax form. They might be questioning the way that we're living our life. But I'm not worried about what they say. I'm not worried about what they'll do because I am trusting in the Lord. I am trusting in his ways and I'm trusting in his promises. And not only does that give us a sense of peace because we're not just adjusting to what everyone's changing thoughts always is, it provides a sense of freedom of knowing that my Heavenly Father has promised me the results that will come when I honor Him. And I may not see it today, but I know that He is faithful. The other option is to be in the snare. If, if our life is going to be controlled by people's thoughts, by people's actions, by what the, the culture is moving towards, it, it shifts back and forth. And some of us who've lived through a couple decades, we've seen the swing. They can't decide how to do it. But God's promises never fail. And what he says is, who trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So the first thing, I just want to begin to encourage you. On this topic of pleasing people, there's this decision point that you have to reach. Within within our faith, there are points of invitation where God pushes on our heart and pushes on our mind. And I believe that in the life of a believer, there's a certain point where we say, you know what? My life is going to be about God now. My life is about His standard now. I'm going to work to please Him. I'm not going to to be worried about their opinions anymore. Because I know where that leads. I know how that feels. And I'm sick of feeling trapped in that. I want to feel the freedom that God provides. I want to feel the assurance that when I walk in His ways. Because when I am focused on people-pleasing, it's a a destructive process. And in fact, the theological term for when, when we are more focused on pleasing the crowd, when we are more focused on doing and living what the crowd says than focused on what God call, God's calling is, then we're putting someone else's approval, someone else's style of living, someone else's way of worshiping above God's way of worshiping, above God's way of living, above God's calling. What Scripture calls that is idolatry. And the first point that I want you to see is that people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. It's, I, I, I want... I want their approval. I'm living for their approval. So I'm going to worship the way that they do. I'm going to live the way that they do. I'm going to compromise the way that they do. And, and idolatry, you know, j- just one of the m- best pictures of idolatry in Scripture was while Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments from God, the people of God were at the base of the mountain actually forming an idol. And, and it's this, this crazy moment where where God is giving the law and the Ten Commandments, which was the foundation for the 600 plus laws that would come later in the Old Testament. And while God is giving this law, the people are there moving away from God. And and we look at that and we're like, what sense does it make to, to create a golden calf and to worship that? I mean, that just doesn't even make sense. Well, you know what? What they did didn't make sense, but you know what we do? And what we worship right now is we worship when someone pushes a button on a picture of ours and it says like. I mean, it's ridiculous the ends that we have gone through to get the approval of other people in a quantified manner. I want to see how many people will like this photo to the extent that it is becoming so regular they don't even write it in the news anymore. So many people have died getting a selfie. What is wrong with us? I can't just take a picture of the moment of the cliff and say, hey guys, this is what I'm looking at. I need everybody to see me in the picture. And so I get right to the the edge. People hate when I get close to the edge of the stage. And and I got to take my camera and get me in the picture. And it's seriously led to people dying and it's become so regular they don't even write news stories about it. Because we want people to show their approval of us. So we have to create these crazy pictures. Because we There's no other good word for it in scriptural context. We worship the approval of others. We will sacrifice for the approval of others. We will spend money for the approval of others. And church, I want to encourage you. God has something better for you than that. And if you feel like, to get my day just right, I have to get this angle just right, it's going to be at least 15 to 20 snaps to like pick the right one and send it out. I think you're worrying a little bit too much about what people think. And I don't have a huge issue with social media. But anything that begins to take the place of God in your life, I think you need to watch out for. If you're waking up in the morning and the very first thing on your mind is, how many people have liked my stuff while I was asleep? the very first pull out of your bed is let me see who was thinking about me while I was sleeping I just want to challenge you that you might be giving that too much voice in your life you might be sliding into this area of pleasing people in John 12 verse 42 and 43 there's this situation where it's describing how people were responding to Jesus and they're specifically how they're responding to Jesus in the face of other Christians and people in their society, and we'll put this up on the screen behind me as I read it, it says, many people did believe in him, Jesus, however, including some of the Jewish, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees, some of the other religious rulers, would expel them from the synagogue, For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Now, into this part of pleasing people, it's interesting because it's describing the situation where in Jesus' ministry, there were people who saw Jesus and they were compelled. Like the, in their heart, it was moved. They believed. But because of fear of cost or people turning their head and looking at them funny, they, they wouldn't be open about it. They, they wouldn't say what they felt. They wouldn't say what they believed and, because they thought that there would be cost. And 43 identifies wise for they loved human praise more than the praise of God now first of all I want to I want to focus a little bit on the interesting theological context the praise of God I mean this concept and how you want to read this of you know they loved being praised more than they loved actually praising God or you can understand it the fact that God rejoices as Zephaniah says that he dances over us I mean, this is an interesting theological concept to just move to the side of the fact that your heavenly Father rejoices over you. Because we often think about God's judgment, we think about God wanting things to change, but when we step forward, when we actually live in what He's called us to live, God actually has joy over you. And so there's a reality that one of the ways that you can see this is that when we choose to worship God, He has joy in it. But are we more worried about God's opinion or are we worried about people's opinion? And, and you know, stick to the context. Let's go with the religious rulers of the day. Are you worried about my opinion more than you're worried about God's opinion? Because you shouldn't. I mean, I know what, it, what it's like to be caught doing something stupid by a pastor. Like, I know that you'd freak out like, if I, I knew something that you didn't want me to know. Like, those things. I understand that. But I just want to roll that back. Like, my opinion doesn't matter, the Pharisees' opinion doesn't matter. The people's opinion around you, like, none of them are going to sit in judgment over your life. But your Heavenly Father's opinion matters. And not, not in the realm of, you know, judgment, because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, we've all made mistakes, we've all done dumb things. And those things need to be addressed and fixed. But the more important thing is that your Heavenly Father has a heart for your life. And He rejoices when, when you choose what's right, when you choose what's true. He rejoices because that affects the people around you in a positive way. It affects you in a positive way. And that's, that's celebrated in the kingdom of God. But what do you care about? Do you care about what God thinks of the way that you're living? Or do you just care about what the people around you, that can see it? And, and th- this affects so many things. I mean, this, that concept of what does, what does God think versus what, does pe- what do people think, it, affects, it should affect every area. It should affect your marriage. The, the reason that I love my wife is not because she's better than me, better looking than me, smarter than me, all of those things are true, but it's not that. It's because my Heavenly Father has called me to purposefully and passionately love her. And so whether she deserves it or not, that's what she needs to have for me because of my love for my Heavenly Father. The way that I parent my kids, whether they're acting like fools or acting like angels, that should be directed by my Heavenly Father. The way that I correct them should be directed by my Heavenly Father. The way that I ask for their forgiveness when I mess up, that should be directed by my Heavenly Father. Not because of what they've done, good or bad, but because of the calling that God has placed on my life. Whatever day of the week, day of the month, whatever holiday it is, it doesn't matter what other people think about it. That is, that is something about me and my Heavenly Father where I need to honor Him in the situation that I find myself in. And, you know, I whether you celebrate Halloween or not, like I, I, I honestly don't really care. I, I do care if you celebrate Christ because the reality within the calendar is every Christian holiday is a holiday that we have looked at as Christians and said the culture is celebrating something here and I'm going to celebrate Christ here. And we're about to enter a time where your neighbors are going to come to your house and and put them in a situation where they have to talk to you, and you have a choice of locking the door and keeping the lights off or using that moment to celebrate Christ in some way, of showing generosity, showing love, giving an invitation to a Bible-believing church. You have an opportunity with them. And for me, within my understanding of theology and redemption and calling, I want to seize those opportunities. And so that's why we're doing a trunk-or-treat over here. Is we want to bless our kids. We want to bless the kids in the community. We want to use these opportunities to teach them about God's love, God's generosity, and God's grace. And whatever day of the week it is, whatever holiday it is, I want what we celebrate to be directed in our relationship with God, and not because of this is what other people do. People do stupid stuff on Halloween. People do stupid stuff on Christmas. People do stupid stuff on Easter. People do stupid stuff. That's not an invitation for us to do stupid stuff. Whatever holiday we find ourselves in, whatever situation within our family, whatever situation within our workplace, there you find an opportunity to honor Christ. Will you seize it? Will you find a reason to complain and bark and growl? We want to seize those opportunities, and we don't want our reaction to those situations to be based on what the other people are thinking, based on what the costs may come from that. We want our reaction to situations to be, I know who Christ is, and I know who I'm called to be. So I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to chase after that. And part of our understanding of why we look for these moments to explain grace, part of why we look for these moments to share about God's love is because of the tremendous love that he's poured out towards us. And I want to I remind us of this, this tremendous grace. I don't know, you know, for some of us who've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes we forget about such the mess that we were in when God found us. And so we make it hard for people to enter the church unknowingly because we, we have a reaction when we see their sin, especially if it looked like our sin. Um, we, we often don't like that. I, and I just want to encourage you, uh, a little bit of a theological perspective on, like, Kanye West. Um, yeah, some of you guys have seen stuff going. Some of you guys have no clue who he is. It's okay. I am not a pop culture person, and so this is not my first language. And so I will probably say something wrong as I address this. But I, I want to be clear. If you don't know who Kanye West is, at different points in his career, he's a rapper. He's, he's very well-known. Uh, and different points, he's referred to himself as God in his career. I mean, his music is not something that you want to play for your elementary kids usually. But he just made a decision to follow Christ. I mean, that That's awesome. And he just released an album called Jesus is King. And as I've read through the lyrics, because I'm still listening to 90s music, I don't really enjoy listening to the current hip-hop. Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, as I read the lyrics, I mean, like, he puts other Christian artists to shame for, for how straightforward he talks about Jesus, how straightforward he quotes Scripture. I mean, the Jesus is King album, like, it's, it's legit, But he is getting all kinds of flack, is the right word for me to say in church, um, from (laughs) non-Christians and Christians alike because of his past. And so many Christians are looking and saying, well, we saw this happen with Snoop Dogg. We saw this happen with other famous people before. And they had this brief spurt where they followed Christ and they put out a gospel album and then they fell away. So let's not be all in on Kanye yet. Well, what a great way to choke the faith out of somebody who's a new Christian. I mean, like, like oh, we're not sure. We're going to have a probationary period, and after 30 days, we'll consider you a full-time. No! Like, how ridiculous is this? How ridiculous would this be if this was you at the beginnings of your faith? I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember the grace that was shown to me and the many mistakes and the many times that I fell backwards, the many times that I fell back into my sins as I was beginning my walk with God. And you know what, if you know, as Scripture says it, if Kanye is seed that fell amongst good soil, or if he's seed that fell amongst the path and it got choked out by the thorns of life, it doesn't matter. Our job is not to choke out his faith. Our job is to help him grow. And so as you see stuff about any new Christian, whether it's a famous person or not, we should be speaking life into them. We shouldn't be saying, oh, I bet they'll probably fail. You're going to wear that around your neck? You're going to be like, yeah, guys, I called him messing up in his Christendom. Look at me. I'm so smart. Like, who's, how is that benefiting anyone? That's not the type of church we want to be. That's not the type of people we want to be. And when someone, no matter how bad their past, if they've been calling themselves God in the past, whatever it is, I don't care. When they step into the church and they come here by grace, they should be finding a community across the nation of churches that say, Welcome in. Me too. My past too. I'm so glad you found it. Isn't this better than anything else that you've ever had? Nothing else can fill this void. Nothing. No. No amount of other people's approval. And that's the interesting thing I think about Kanye is because he was already at the pinnacle of our culture's popularity. He doesn't need to talk about Jesus to make himself more popular. If anything, he paid a pretty big cost for for releasing this album. I mean, he's getting all kinds of criticism. And man, would it be awesome if you ever had the chance to have hundreds of thousands of people criticizing you because you chose to say that Jesus is king. I mean, we'll probably never have to walk through that, but I think it's pretty stinking cool that Kanye chose to say it and be be all out there and say, you know what, Jesus is king. Christians will criticize me, non-Christians will criticize me, but this is what I found to be true. And Lord, I, I pray that you will sustain his faith and I pray that he continues to grow in his faith and grow the church across the world because that's an awesome thing. And he's not living, as Paul says in Galatians 1.10, you know, Paul said, we're not living for the approval of men. If, if I was going to be a servant of Christ, I would not be li- living for the approval of men. I, they, they just don't go together. And that's kind of a decision that needs to be made. If I'm going to be a servant of Christ, I understand the approval of men, is not going to come along. So you have to choose as a Christ follower. I believe that you'll reach this kind of crisis point in your faith where you will have to ask yourself, what's more important to me? Getting the approval of people around me, being the person that God has called me to be. You're going to reach that point where you have to make that decision. Ben, if you guys will begin to make your way up, I'm going to start to wrap this thing up. The, the, the second thing is, you know, the approval of God, it sets us free from the disease to please. When we, when we recognize that I don't need the approval of people around us. You okay? All right. It happens. When we don't need the approval of people around us because we have the approval of God, it sets us free in a way that we can live the way that we know that we need to live. It gives you a peace through your day where you're not just reactive to what other people are thinking, but you step into a room thinking about what your Heavenly Father wants you to say in that room. And it's not just a freedom from, am I pleasing these people? It's this opportunity of, I have a mission in front of me. I have moments that I can seize, that I can grab a hold of. And our purpose is to please God, not people. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, We speak as messengers, approved by God, to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. I just want to reiterate the the middle part of that passage. Our purpose is to please God, not people. You do have a purpose. You do have a calling. You do have an invitation. But just like at the beginning of the church service, what I'd like to remind you guys of, it's true in this moment, that God gives invitations. And we choose whether or not to react to them. We can coast through that moment where God is stirring something in our heart. We can enter that moment, we can coast through it and let it pass. When God stirs something in our heart, we can react. We can choose to step in and say, it's a yes for me. I'll do this your way. I'll give you the place in my life that I've been giving to other people. In scripture Gives us some descriptions of the situation that he calls us into because, as the passage said, we speak as messengers, approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. I first just want to let those words kind of sink into the skin. Approved by God. I mean, can you feel that today? That your heavenly Father looks at you not with anger, not with judgment because if you have responded to his invitation for forgiveness through Christ your sins have been dealt with so he sees you he says you're you're approved he sees you and he says you're adopted into my family as a child he says you're not just forgiven you're a new creation Christ has called you friend he's given you the same spirit inside of you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And when we are being pulled back and forth by people's opinions, we rarely feel that way. So, I don't think it was the snare that tripped Aspen on our way up here. Um, We can choose to stay locked in here and try to pull through, or we can stop the fighting We can trust in God's way. And it really happens one decision at a time. Begin to live in freedom. So if you feel like in your heart right now that God is asking you to make a decision, God is asking you to solidify your faith, God is asking you to begin to move the approval of other people out of that throne in your life, say yes to him in this moment. I believe you'll begin to experience some of the freedom that you've been longing for. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that your mercy and your grace goes beyond just acceptance. It goes to adoption. That it isn't just tolerate, but it's dearly loved. And sometimes we experience fear it comes to other people's opinions. Lord, help us to love you so much with our heart, with our mind, that that love is the passion built up beyond what anyone else thinks, that we don't care anymore, that we can worship and live in freedom because your opinion comes first. And when we have failed, help us to know that we have a heavenly father who walks us out of those failures by our hand. We thank you for your love, for your grace that never fails. and Help us in this moment to say yes to whatever you're asking. May your church walk forward in obedience and show this grace to our city, to our children, and to our coworkers. And we thank you that you invite us, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've placed in front of us. Help us to honor you with what we choose.